Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin podcast. My name is Tim Gotzler. I'm your host. Well, we made it to our first show. Today's guest is head baseball coach and athletic director at Oak Creek High School, Scott Holler. Scott also serves as the president of the Wisconsin Baseball Coaches Association, the WBCA, and is a proud member. Now, for those, those of you new to Oak Creek Baseball, Scott is entering his 17th season as head coach and his 23rd season overall at Oak Creek High School. In that time, Oak Creek Baseball has put up some eye-popping numbers in the summer and most recently in the spring. They've had 17 straight seasons of 20-plus wins. They've won 11 of the last 15 conference championships. Since 1999, they've been to the state tournament nine times and won four state championships. They've had three state players of the year, and five major league draft picks since 2003. Like the rest of the summer baseball teams in 2019, they made the transition to spring baseball with the rest of the state. And Oak Creek picked up where they left off. They made an appearance at the 2019 Division I state tournament. Scott is one of the phenomenal men inside of our game and a true advocate for all things great in the state of Wisconsin in regards to baseball. I'm truly honored to have Scott on my first show. And you gotta, I have to apologize in advance for some of the bumps and bruises. And I want to thank Scott for his patience through this entire process. Without further ado, head baseball coach, Oak Creek High School, and current WBCA president, Scott Holler. Scott. Hey, Tim. How you doing, buddy? Great to, have, right. great to be on. Thank you. I appreciate you very much. And I uh, just want to get right into it today. So, um just want to hear a little bit about your background in baseball and, you know, where you're from and a little bit about your playing and coaching career. Yeah. So, you know, my situation is, is a little bit unique in that I, I get teased by my buddies all the time that I never left Oak Creek. Um, I, I grew up here, lived in Oak Creek since I was five years old, went to, you know, elementary, middle school, high school here, uh, played high school baseball, obviously um, was lucky enough to do four different sports here at Oak Creek high school. And, uh, baseball obviously was always my first love and my passion. Um, was was part of a special group of, of guys coming up through our little league. This is again back in the early '90s when it was still pretty much you know everyone did little league, um, and then got to high school, got to play a little AAU ball, which with with some kids from other, uh, you know, some really good players from Franklin and Greendale and South Milwaukee and New Berlin, etc. Um, and and yeah, just it stayed in Oak Creek. Um, uh, had a nice, you know, nice high school career uh, playing for Joel Parr um, and really started to realize probably my my junior year, like that, that teaching and coaching was something I, I really wanted to do. Um, played infield and, you know, uh, could, could run a little bit and pl played good defense. Uh, could hit for a little bit of average, but not enough power uh, to be a, a big recruit or anything like by any of those means. So uh, after high school, went to UWM. I uh, had a chance to to go play at a couple other D3 schools or whatnot, but decided UWM was where I wanted to go. I wanted to get into education. Um, had a good education program. Uh, being in an urban setting uh, was important to me at the time. And, you know, so went the UWM route. Um, unfortunately, they were loaded in the middle infield. That was right around the time they were making their run and beating Rice in the College World Series. So uh, instead of sticking around and being a, a third string second baseman and shortstop, I I kind of saw the writing on the wall there and, and Peter Dooley uh, was lucky enough. I was lucky enough to have him ask me if I wanted to come and start coaching the freshman team at Oak Creek. So, so I started my coaching career 
uh, pretty, pretty young. Uh, I was actually 18 years old still. Um, so I was 17 when I graduated high school. So I was 18 when I started coaching that freshman team. And uh, from there was his assistant for, for four years. I would, I would be at the freshman games, the JV games and the, and the varsity games every day in the summer. Um, wasn't getting paid anything. Our freshman program at the time was run through the booster club and yeah, so it, uh, it, it was a great experience. I was an assistant for, for four years for Peter, then went over to Franklin when I did have to, my fiance told me I needed to start making some money coaching. So, uh, went over to Franklin and assisted Jim Hughes for a couple of years, uh, as his varsity assistant and freshman coach. And then, uh, came back to Oak Creek when, when Peter resigned and, and became the varsity coach in 2005. So that's kind of a quick recap of my journey. And it, like I said, really haven't left Oak Creek, um, and, but I love it here. And now I'm obviously I'm the athletic director here and, uh, and enjoy that role immensely. Before you became athletic director, did you some elementary yeah. school? Yeah. Fifth grade. I taught fifth grade for 10 years. Uh, I always said that was the perfect grade to teach because they were old enough where you could start to have some conversations with them about the real world. Uh, but you weren't still wiping noses and stuff like that. So, uh, and they weren't yet to that middle school age where they thought they knew everything about everything. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, 10 years, taught fifth grade uh, right next door at Edgewood Elementary. Um, so that made it nice and convenient because there was plenty of times where I'd need to come over to the high school, you know, and maybe have a quick meeting with a kid or, or talk to a teacher about a kid. So um, did that until 2013 school year. And I had been in talks with um, our previous athletic director, athletic director, Greg Lampy about, you know, how do you become an AD? What does that all look like? Do you have to get an administrative degree? Because I'll, I'll be honest, I never really had any intent on becoming a principal. That's just not something that interests me. I, I, I like the administrat administrative side of things from an athletics side, but I didn't have any interest in being a, a principal. So he kind of guided me towards the NIAAA and WADA, the Wisconsin Athletic Directors Association. They, they actually offer a certification program. And I started that um, probably in like 2008, 2009. And got, got my certification through the NIAAA to be, you know, what's considered a certified athletic director. And then there's different levels you can, you can work your way up. But at the time, I just needed that initial certification. So unfortunately, um, it, it came a little sooner than I wanted. My predecessor, Greg, got, he got sick, uh, had some heart issues. Uh, he's doing fine now, but he had some heart issues that forced him to retire in 2013. So literally how it happened was a superintendent came over <clears throat> to Edgewood where I was teaching, pulled me out of class. And said, "Hey, uh, we, you know, we we love the the work you do as a coach in the district and as a teacher. And you're the game manager for football. You're the game manager for basketball. So you know how everything works. Uh, you're the AD starting at, after Christmas break." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So the, fun, <laughs> the funny story. The, the the only thing I'll add to that is, I she goes, "Are you willing to take it?" And I said, "Well, there's. I guess I have one condition. I I still want to coach. I still want to coach baseball." And at the time, it was kind of a no-brainer for her because we were still playing summer baseball. So I, I do actually have a letter in my a, fi a letter in my file at district office that says I basically can be the baseball coach, you know, until well, until the athletic director fires me because I can't do both roles anymore. So as long as I continue to do a good job and manage it, and uh, I've been lucky, I got some good mentors and Ryan McGinnis and John Matera down at Tremper um, that you know have helped me when I when I started this role because they had been doing the same thing for a while. I think that dual role is is interesting in, in the administrative chair. So um, as an AD, like as your full-time job as AD, how does it help you as a baseball coach? I mean, do you see things through a different lens? Um, I, on that for us. I think, I think it helps. And 
I got a great staff of coaches. Um, you know, it's, it's a different staff than when I started. I will say that I'll be honest. There were a few coaches who it took me a little while. I, I came in and I observed, you know, and just kind of sat back and observed that first year or two. And, you know, you, I think what, what helps my relationship with all of them is um, I'm still living the same things they're living as a head coach. So, and nothing against athletic directors that obviously aren't coaches at, at some point, most likely they did live it, but I'm still in the moment. Like when I have a conversation with my coaches, I can literally tell them, well, I had this situation last season, or I, I I'm going to go through this, this season, this upcoming season, here's a situation I'm facing. And I think that helps our relationships. I think they, uh, and some of them have even told me it, they appreciate, you know, being able to have candid coaching conversations versus, you know, I'm whatever administration, you know, however you want to slice it. I mean, you're a teacher, so you know, you know, it's, I don't feel like when they talk to me, yes, I have that title. I don't feel like we're talking as administrator to coach. I think we're, most of our conversations are coach to coach. And, and I think that really helps. Um, and I think the kids appreciate that too. Cause I'll, you know, like I said, I'm some kids call me Mr. Holler in the gym or whatever, or in the hallway, but most of them, to be honest with you, they call me coach, you know, coach Holler. So I, I, I think again, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of viewed as just coach Holler around here. I know you mentioned, some local coaches in the area, but who would you put on your Mount Rushmore of coaching influences? Who are the three or four guys that you think have really been enormous mentors to you, you know, when you first yeah. got started or even now? Right. And you're right. I, I think when you sent me that question uh, to kind of prepare for today's show, I, I was like, holy cow, how do you get down to three or four? Um, but that's the fun of it. Right. So I, I think you're right. I think it's, I think it's two, two different Mount Rushmore's and I'm going to, so I'm going to cheat on the question here. Right. I, I think as a young coach, it was in it, it, you know, still to this day. Um, I think I took a lot from Joel Parr, who was my head coach. I think, well, I think any of us who have played sports, you always remember that coach that had that first big impact on you. And that was definitely Joel Parr, who was my head varsity coach here at Oak Creek. And the reason I say that is he took over in the early nineties when Oak Creek baseball was was pretty much a doormat for quite a few years you know nothing against the guy that was before him or anything like that but there just wasn't a lot of talent coming through um and joel brought this passion he started working with us when we were little years so we all knew who he was so he was a a 24 year old kid at the time um and he i remember him coming when we were in middle school you know working with our little our all-star teams and things like that which is you know that's how you got to do it and his passion and energy that he brought to our program um, was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And, you know, he was only the varsity head coach for, I think, six years, but we had, we joined the WIA in 1988. A lot of people don't know that Oak Creek was not Oak Creek baseball was not a part of the WIA. They played in what was called like the suburban park conference, like the summer conference there. They weren't a part of the WIA until 1988. So in 1995, I think it was my sophomore year, yeah, we won our first ever WIA playoff game in 1995. So the history of our program doesn't go back all that far. Um, and, it, and it really kind of started with Joel Parr uh, and, and the energy he brought. So he would definitely be one. And he's our football coach now. Uh, so it's really cool. He came back. He was my assistant for a few years. I coached with him at Racine Prairie for a few years when he wanted to get, he had the itch a couple of years later. So definitely Joel Parr. Um, Peter Dooley, obviously he gave me my start in coaching, uh, when it all shook out when I was going to UWM, he, he was still the JV coach at the time. And he said, Hey, if you want to come back next year, if things don't work out at UWM, you can come help with the JV. Well, then Joel resigned to spend more time with his family. Peter brought me on and Peter was just great at putting kids in a position to be successful, very laid back, great at developing relationships. 
Um, so definitely those two guys. And then I mentioned kind of hard to distinguish, but as a young coach, you know, and you, you and I have both been there. You, you look around when you're playing these games and you, you're watching other coaches, you're trying to pick things up from them. I was always impressed with how John Gillespie at South Milwaukee handled his program. John and, you know, nothing against their players by any means, but it seemed like he always got the most out of the talent he had. Um, and just always found a way to be competitive. We, we had some incredible battles with him when I was a young assistant coach for Peter at Oak Creek and just the way, I mean, I remember him pulling his own son in the middle of in the middle of an inning because his son looked at the umpire the wrong way in John's eyes. And, you know, I just, just this the integrity that John brought. Uh, and then the other two guys would have been Jim Hughes and, and Jerry Tobble. Obviously I learned a lot from Jim. Uh, those two years I was there, Jim took so much pride in Franklin baseball. And what Jim was great at was kind of the off season, the general manager type stuff. And he was a very good in-game uh, coach by all means, not to take anything away from him there. But what he was good at um, was really promoting his program before the internet and before social media. Like he made sure the community knew about his fundraisers. He made sure that you know, the players got a booklet before the year that, that knew you knew the history of Franklin baseball and what it meant to wear the Franklin, the Franklin Jersey. And so I definitely took a big piece of that with me when I came back to Oak Creek. Um, and then the last guy at the time would have been Jerry Tobble. I just, you know, another guy very much like Jim, the longevity that Jerry had and the way he carried himself and the way his, the way he cared about his players. You never heard of, remember, you know, getting to know some of the Donovan brothers and stuff that played for Jerry back in the day. And, you know, Jerry just cared so deeply about his players and ran an incredibly successful program for a long time. Um, then fast forward <laughs> to my kind of like more recent, uh, man, I, I, I've developed over the last few years, just an incredible respect for uh, all the executive guys of the WBCA. And I know it's easy for me to say that because I'm on the board, but man, when I was an 18 year old kid going and 19 year old kid going to the clinic, um, the WBCA clinic, I was just always in awe of guys like Mark Fuller and, and Marty Paulson and, and Tom Wilson, and Ron Kading, all those guys. And now to get to know those guys and see how much work they put in behind the scenes, it's, it, it's really why, you know, guys like me and you are sitting here talking today because, you know, you know, think of Joe Waite and all the time, he, you know, the yearbook and everything like that, just promoting the sport, which is obviously, you know, what's awesome, what you're doing right now, you know, promoting baseball in Wisconsin. And so it's hard to, to pick three or four of those guys, but I would say that WBC executive board is a Mount Rushmore in baseball, Wisconsin, uh, just among themselves. So I have a whole level of appreciation for them, but man, I could, we, you and I, you and I could spend two hours just on the great coaches that have influenced us. But, you know, I've gotten to know obviously Ryan McGinnis more, you, Chad Montez, um, the list just goes on and on, you know, Ernie Millard and so many guys over the years that have been. Wow, Scott, that is one heck of a list. And locally, you're talking about some blue bloods of Wisconsin baseball. Is there anybody outside of the state of Wisconsin that you follow, maybe at the high school level, that you've got to know from national clinics or other states, or maybe it's collegiate programs that you've sent players to or anybody else outside of baseball that you feel like you've taken a lot from or you would see as uh, maybe a personality that you align with more. Yeah. So um, I, I guess, and again, the, you know, this is a tough, I tried to think on the high school level. I, I had an opportunity a couple of years ago um, and he was one of the speakers. Mark Fuller brought Chan Brown up from Parkview 
in Georgia. And I, I really didn't know Chan personally. I, I had heard about his program. I know he had won some national championships. And, you know, what you just described, and it's why I follow Chan on Twitter. It's why I'll, I'll send him a, a message here and there occasionally. Um, so Chan came up and spoke and was, I think it was my first year as, you know, second vice president or whatever. And so we always take the speakers out the night before for a dinner and we're out for dinner and man, the stuff he was sharing with me and, and what he was telling us about his program, him and I developed, you know, a, kind of a quick little friendship. And then the next year I got invited down to speak at the Georgia clinic and hung out with Chan and his staff. You know, my wife was with us, Joe Waite was there as well speaking that weekend and, you know, just to, just to have guys like that, you know, Chan's a tough guy. I mean, he, he's pretty much running one of the most elite, if not the, one of the elite programs in the country. And for him to just basically open up and tell me how, how they do things, how they run things, uh, um, pretty special. And then obviously it's a huge, huge uh, baseball school. It's, I mean, they're drawn, they're drawn thousands of fans at a high school baseball game. So, <laughs> So at the high school level, I'd say Chan, I, you know, I really love the stuff Chan does. Chan Brown, I encourage everyone that's listening to follow him on Twitter and follow Parkview Baseball. It's pretty special what they do down there. Um, at the collegiate level, man, I mean, we could, like I said, there's so many guys. I guess if I had to pinpoint a couple, I'd say, obviously, he's passed now, but Augie Garrido, early in my career, um, for those of you that, you know, haven't seen it, his inning by inning, you know, the portrait of a coach DVD you have to, it's a must watch. It's a must buy for any baseball coach. Um, and the reason I say Augie is it, there's such a passion um, and an understanding of what this game is all about. He, he loves his players. He's, he's a little bit old school in his style of coaching. I, he, he was a big believer in the bunt. Um, and I, I, I'm a big believer in the bunt at the high school level. Augie was a big, big believer in it at the collegiate level and it worked really well for him with his national championships. Um, but that DVD really kind of takes you inside their whole 2008 season. They basically followed them around um, interviews from past players and whatnot. So that's, that's another guy I had a chance to talk to. And again, it goes back to this baseball fraternity. I ran into him at the ABCA a, a few years back in Nashville. And I just went up to him, introduced myself. I said, I know you're walking around right now, but I just want to say thank you for your influence on me and, I've done the same thing with Tim Corbin and Jim Schlossnagel and every one of them took about a half hour uh, to sit and talk with me. Mm -hmm. Tim Corbin actually from, you know, Tim Corbin and his wife, his wife's actually from Kenosha. And uh, so Peter Dooley, my assistant and I were at the airport a few years ago and he's eating lunch. So obviously we're not going to bother him, but we're at the airport and we're eating lunch next to him and they finish. And, and he actually initiated a conversation with us. And we're like, oh, my God, Tim Corbin starting a conversation with us. He could see we were baseball coaches or whatever. And we sat and talked with Tim Corbin and his wife for like an hour at this airport. And it was, it was just incredible, you know. So the baseball fraternity is pretty special. But, but those guys, you know, that I mentioned, Jim Schlossnagel, love the stuff he does on social media with his guys. Big advocate for his program. His, I kind of stole our, our hashtag work wins. I got that from him a few years ago with a video he did that I absolutely loved and I haven't dropped it since. Um, and then obviously having Alex Pinellas right now at Louisville, I've, I've gotten sort of an inside, uh, inside lens, I guess you could call it to what goes on at Louisville just because Alex and I talk regularly. So I, I got drills that, that they do. I got, you know, videos that McDonald will, uh, McDonald will show his team. Alex will send to me and say, Hey, you got to show the guys this Dan, you know, coach showed us this yesterday. So that's, so that's pretty cool. So even though, 
like I said, that's, I'm not trying to name drop or anything like that, but you know, those are some of the top programs in the state. And why would you not want to try to follow and emulate a lot of those things those guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, man. And now taking it kind of back to Oak Creek. So give us like the scope of baseball inside the community, you know, from youth all the way yeah. through your program. So where does it start in Oak Creek? Yeah. So it's, it's really evolved over the years. And, and you and I have had this conversation at other times is unfortunately, um, you know, the little leagues in many communities are really struggling and that's, that's no different in Oak Creek. Um, our little league program used to be the hub of where all our players came from, you know, all the way late eighties, all the way through the nineties, even early two thousands. I mean, Tony Butler, you know, and his, who was part of our three state championship run in the early two thousands, their little league team was one game away from, the, the national little, you know, the, the, the world little league world series. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was all Oak Creek little league guys still. So as you and I have talked, it really has evolved and our, our little league still exists. Um, but unfortunately it is not what it used to be in terms of players, uh, being signed up and registered to play in it. They have small numbers. A lot of kids at second, third grade now are, are being plucked and doing tryouts for, traveling team. So in Oak Creek, we have that, you know, we have an, an organization known as Oak Creek Storm. Uh, we have another organization that's known as Oak Creek Zone. And then there's also an extension of the Little League, a tournament team called Oak Creek Junior Knights. So what I do is every year I put on a free coaching clinic every spring. Uh, I've been doing it since 2005 when I took over. It's open to everybody. It's open to the, the little league coaches have to come. It's as part of, it's part of their training through the official, like, you know, master little league across the country. But then I open it up. I invite those storm coaches. I invite those zone coaches. I said, look, this has nothing to do with who you are, or who your kid's playing for. We're all in Oak Creek. So, you know, I do uh, basically a two hour clinic, kind of take them through drills and things they can do. I give them a handout, share, share emails with them and things like that. Um, and so our kids kind of go that route. Yeah, in my opinion, probably, probably till around sixth, seventh grade. And between you and me, that's when it seems like a lot of these teams start to kind of maybe dissolve a little bit. And a lot of our kids have either gone the hitters route, uh, hitters baseball Academy down with RJ. Uh, we have a handful of PTA kids. Uh, we have some kids that go out to sticks. Uh, we have one kid that goes out to Bruce state uh, up by you guys. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and now GRB in Milwaukee, we have, we have some Milwaukee Angels kids, um, you know, who now have the halos. So it's, it's amazing in the last, man, even in the last 15 years. I mean, when I started coaching, it was, there was the Waukesha Blazers, you know, which was a huge organization in the early 2000s, late 90s. It was pretty much you played for hitters, or you played for the Waukesha Blazers. Now, now you can go, I mean, there's six, seven options just in Southeast Wisconsin alone. Um, so it's, that's kind of the, how, how kids evolve through Oak Creek when I get calls of people asking me and I'm, and I don't love the model. Uh, I'd be lying if I, I said I did. It's just, it's just kind of where we are, Tim, right now. And I guess maybe in society a little bit and, and people wanting to, you know, to either work with their own kid or make sure their kid is working with the right person. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it, it's where we are. And, you know, it's, that's kind of where we are in Oak Creek. A lot, of, a lot of different avenues. Absolutely. Like I said, and, you, and you've been in it the last 15 years, obviously, with your resume and the level of players that have come through and the success you've had, um, you know, you're, you're seeing the whole gamut. Now, 
the beauty is, you know, at some level, you know, like they enter the freshman year, right? No matter what hat they wore and what right. team they've switched, you know, they enter as a freshman and now they're, you know, they're Oak Creek High School students. Right. So tell us about your program, uh, the high school program. How many teams do you carry? How many kids do you have for tryouts? What's a typical year look like for you guys? Yeah, so we, so we have three teams. Uh, obviously, in the summer, we would refer to them as freshman JV and varsity. Now, with the switch to spring, we've all kind of moved to that whole JV1 is what formerly would have been your JV, and now JV2 is typically your freshman team. Uh, we do keep pretty big rosters. I, I know Pat Hansen, your predecessor, used to – every year I'd show up and I'd hand him our roster before the game, and he'd pretty much say the same thing. He'd be like, I can't believe you have this many guys on your roster. Um, so for the varsity, for example, I – I'm usually around 20 or 22 guys. And the reason I do that is I, I truly feel that if a kid wants to be a part, and this is something I learned from John Galeski at South Milwaukee. I said, if, if a kid before the year, if I can sit down with a kid, which I sit down with every kid after tryouts and let them know where they're, where they're at. If a kid wants to be a part of what we're doing and his, he's willing to accept his role as minimal as it may be, um, I will give him a uniform. And the challenge with that, as you know, is of course the kid, the day of tryouts is going to say, yeah, coach, I'll, I'll accept that role. I'm, I'm willing to do that. So what has helped me over the years is prior to getting here at the high school, I used to do preseason interviews. So I would, every kid that came to our signup meeting had a preseason interview with me and my coaching staff, freshman through senior um, would come in for like a 15 minute interview and we'd ask them their baseball background. We'd, We'd ask them about, um, you know, how they're doing in school. We, you know, what are their interests? Tell us about their family. Really, really neat process. And I stopped doing it when I got to the high school um, because I, I feel like I'm just so much more in tune with who everyone is. And I can literally just walk up to a teacher now and, and all that stuff. And it, it got to the point where I think at, the, at our peak in the summer, we, we once had 102 kids try out uh, in our program for all three levels. Now, uh, now I'd say, I think this year we were going to be at 72. Um, so it, it was consistently, I'd say in the eighties, you know, at its peak, probably that one Oh two. Um, but right now I'd say, yeah, we're, we're probably in the seventies. Um, and same thing at the lower levels. We, we try to try to keep at least 18 on the freshman team. That, that really was a challenge, obviously last, well, not last, but the first year in spring, you know, only having our freshmen play 13 games or whatever that was tough. So we try to preach to those kids how important practice is, as we all do. Um, but we basically say, look, this is a year long tryout for you. If we play 20 games, great, but you're, we're teaching you the game. We're teaching you the right mechanics, the right things we want you to do so that you have a chance to play um, at the JV one or the varsity level. So, so yeah, our rosters are huge. Um, and I like that kids develop so differently. I always tell the story of Eric Semelhack when I had him, um, he, he still gets mad at me to this day, but when he uh, was a freshman, we kept him on the freshman team. And I remember his dad was not happy about that. Um, and, and Eric wasn't happy about that, but at the time he was short and he was a little heavier and he had a great arm, but I'm like, yeah, all you have right now is a great arm. You need to develop. And so we kept him on the freshman team. And then he comes back as a sophomore and he, he had grown about five inches. He was up to like six, four at that point. And all of a sudden, he had thinned out, he had become a better athlete and, and he was on our varsity as a sophomore through a senior and went on to have a great career at UWM and get drafted by the Brewers. But, um, but that's where he needed to be at that time. He was an example of a kid that, you know, 
and we've had that too, where we've kept some juniors on the JV. We'll do, we'll do that. We'll keep some juniors on the JV if they think they might be able to help us as a senior. And we've had a handful of kids that came back as seniors and were all conference players um, after being on the JV as a junior. So, so we, we really try to run it like a, almost like a minor league system, you know, and keep big rosters, especially now in the spring with how much practice time we get. Um, that's kind of the scope of how we do, how we do it with the rosters. I love that analogy, you know, the, the big league club, the triple A, the double A, and you kind of move up and down and, right. you know, the, the synergy between all three, um, that's, that's just huge. And like you said, you know, puberty is a heck of a thing at this age, right? You never know what's yeah. going to happen with some of these kids and how they're going to do and you and you you came from a program that had this, and now you're in a program that definitely has this. So we certainly have the luxury. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that you know will listen to this and say, "Well, that's that's great. You have that luxury of doing that." And we do. You know, we you can get passed up in a hurry here. Mm -hmm. um, so I've I've had sophomores that have started on the varsity that didn't start as juniors or seniors, and people are like, "Well, how does that happen?" It's like, "Well, the kid either stopped working." or the kid stopped growing and, and didn't whatever didn't stay in the weight room and didn't keep developing his skills. And all of a sudden somebody comes along, you know, and that's, that's kind of what happened with Doran Turchin. Um, when Doran was a freshman, he started the year on the JV as a freshman, he went 19 for 21 to start the season on the JV and our second, our backup second baseman, I won't name his name. Um, he quit on the varsity, our backup second baseman quit. Well, what happened? Two days later, my starting second baseman broke his leg. And guess who I called up? Doran Turchin. And Doran Turchin then started at second base for the rest of his freshman year. And we go on and win the state championship. And obviously, Doran goes on to have a great career. But who knows? It, you know, it, it just goes to show you that, you know, and, and that kid felt terrible that quit. I mean, the senior, he was a senior. And the kids, the other seniors on the team, man, did they give him a hard time for, Imagine. You, you quit. And then two days later, our starter breaks his leg and, you know, the rest is, the rest is history. But it's, that's yeah. why, you know, that's why you give a lot of credit to those kids that stick it out. Cause when those situations come up, you got to be ready. Yeah. It's not like, not like the, football. What's the full Schembechler line, right? Those who stay will be champions. Yes. Yeah, that. That's, yeah. that's probably a great way to look at it, you know, and it doesn't always mean holding a gold ball or everything else, but just right. everything else that goes with that. Right. Exactly. That's a great, um, that's a great quote. One thing that intrigues me always, and I love asking coaches this, is how do you, how do you run tryouts? Like what's the structure? Mm -hmm. Do you go multiple days? Do you do more of like a showcase? Do you do, do you guys try to scrimmage? You know, what's, what's your process? Yep. So I would say, so we give everybody three days and we, we, we spread it out over four days, but every class gets three full days. Um, so what I mean by that is so like, so day one, we usually have, ninth and 10th graders together and that's the only day they're together and then the other two days that they'll they'll have of the four it's just ninth graders together and just 10th graders together and then 11th and 12th graders are always just together because obviously that number is usually a little smaller maybe in their 20s or whatever um, but we go four days I do not cut a kid until he's got all three days we we don't I, I know some people do that I'll be honest in saying there's certainly kids you could let go after the first day but for whatever reason, and I think I got this from Jim Hughes, um, you owe it to the kid to let him stay, in my opinion, and and then in Jim's opinion, and and that's something I learned from him is, you know, if this kid's gonna, this kid wants to come for three days, let him come for three days, you know, and yeah, you may know after watching him play catch on day one, 
but this may be, that may be the only high school baseball experience that kid gets. So to tell him after one day, you know, and, and you're right. We, we, we definitely do probably what everyone else does. We, we have our showcase type things we do. We, yes, we time them in the 60. Yes. We have them throw across the infield. Um, but we try to see as many reps as possible in, you know, so we, obviously it was new in the spring this year, but we always, we always pick a day. Uh, we actually rent hitters, uh, baseball Academy for one day just to make sure I can see them. And we, we didn't do that when we were in the summer, but we started when we went to spring. So I rent hitters for one day and, um, we basically have the full day there, including the field. And we really get a ton of reps on the field, making sure we see a lot of defense on that day. Um, and then saying we have the upstairs as well, so we can see a lot of swings. And then you're right. When it gets to that third day, we do, we do break down and do a scrimmage. When, when you're starting to get to that, those last couple spots and you're trying to figure out, okay, who's, who's who, I think you have to be able to see them in some game type situations. So we'll, we'll put runners on base, you know, to see how they act defensively. You know, we'll put, um, put the pitchers in a two, one count or whatever it is to try to speed things up a little bit. I wouldn't say we have full out scrimmages, but the guys we really need to see, um, we put in that scrimmage situation on the last day. Um, but yeah, you know, our bullpens are pretty, we, we chart, we chart the bullpens, you know, we, we, I, I'm lucky. I got, I got a huge staff and, and we're able to break it up hard. I'll be honest. Most of the time I spend a lot of time watching the, the pitchers. I spend a lot of time with the pitchers during the trial process. Uh, I got a couple guys that I really trust to evaluate the hitters. And then same thing, Peter Dooley is usually always with the infielders um, and, and watching the defensive stuff. So we kind of all divide, divide and conquer a little bit. And then when it comes down to final decisions, I don't know how you do it, Tim, but you know, I, I do get the final say on who's on that freshman, that JV two roster or that JV one roster. Cause um, as much as I trust my guys and, and we, we have a meeting every night, after tryouts, we sit down with probably, probably last two, three hours every night. We usually go to Wendy's or, you know, Applebee's or something every night. And we, you know, we divide our, our list. We draw out our, draw out our fields and do your depth charts and everything like everybody else does. Um, but we, we really have some great conversations and I like to think we come to the decision as a group, but every once in a while, you know, you got to pull rank and, and make sure if there's a guy, it's like, I see something, you know, I, I see something that we got to keep this kid or vice versa they see something and I'm like, I don't see it, you know? So, um, but I, I think you have to do that as the, as the head guy. Right. It sounds like some, some important, but long days for you. You know, it sounds yeah. like to be present with the ninth and 10th graders and obviously yeah. you know, the hours after when you're, when you're breaking it down, but I'm sure at the same time, you feel like you're doing your due diligence, you know, for that yeah. particular group in that spring. Yeah, we have, all my coaches are at all every day of every session. I know there's some schools that do it differently and I, I, I don't have an issue with that, but me personally, um, that's just the way I'm wired. Like I, I, I have to see everything. I, I have to be at every tryout and, and all my assistants know just cause you're a varsity assistant doesn't mean you're not at the freshman and sophomore tryout. So yeah, they are long days and I like to think, and, and here's the other thing we do. I'll just add this real quick. Mm -hmm. uh, we cut every kid to their face and that's something else I got from Jim Hughes. Um, I, I talk to each kid individually um, that we're going to cut and, and those are tough conversations, but I think we owe it to those kids to explain to them what they need to work on. You know, some of them are short conversations and some of them are, you know, especially when you're cutting a, a senior who made it as a junior. And, but I, I learned that from Jim and some other coaches. So, so we don't post it. Um, obviously we, 
you know, word spreads like crazy nowadays and everything like that. But um, uh, we, we talk to every kid in our program that, that we cut. And I, and I think that's important. And I, uh, as a high schooler, I was on the other side of that list as a basketball player. So I always remember okay. that felt like, you know, 20 years ago. And right. I think that's really important as well. I'm sure, you know, you as a dad, you as an AD, you as a teacher, you know, you're looking at all those lenses of what it felt like being in a conversation. I do. And I do encourage, I do encourage our other coaches um, to do the same. And, and I, I think a lot of them do. Um, and it's, it's not that the kid's going to leave loving you because you had that conversation with them, but it's, it's way better. It's way better than the kid just not seeing their name on a board and wondering what the heck, why didn't I make it? Not you, you just, you, you eliminate that piece of it. It's, it's a, it's a hard process. I always say it's the worst day of the year. What's the worst day of the year? Cup day. Cup day is the worst day of the year for any coach. Um, that and the day your season ends. Right. So, um, I think we owe it to the kids and that's something I've always done. And I'll, I'll, I'll continue to always do. Yeah. And so obviously the process you guys have in place, the system you guys have set up all the, all the hands on deck. Um, so, you know, like tell us more about your program. What's, give us the 30,000 foot view. Um, you know, if you're looking down at Oak Creek baseball, are there certain pillars of your program? Is there a mission statement that you guys hold on tight? Um, you talked about, you know, still a hashtag work win. So, you know, yeah. go a little bit deeper into those things for us. Yeah, so so we 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 do have a mission statement. It's, it's rather long. Um, it, it kind of, it, it's basically a, a version of of what we look for in a player, and it's all the cliche things that we all hear and things like that. But it operates it, and I think this comes back to how me and my coaches were as players. Is uh, we truly we truly try to um, speak a lot about. Um, playing the game, not only the right way and with respect, but also playing it with an edge. Um, I think this game is so hard and so, so difficult. One of my favorite quotes from Augie Garrido that I share with my team every year is, um, I don't love baseball. Baseball is, baseball is too hurtful of a game to love. What I love is that baseball gives me the opportunity to teach. So, what I mean by that is obviously I do love baseball and obviously Augie Garrido loves baseball. But what he meant by that was the game, the game is a metaphor for life. So we try to spend a lot of time with our kids early on at the beginning of the season, explaining to them that, look, you are, you're able to be a part of something that's really special because of so much, so many people that have come before you and you're part of, you're a part of this now. So what do you want your legacy to be? Like, what do you, and you know, what do you want to get out of this? The opportunity you have in front of you is to come every day, bust your butt, work hard and know that nothing, nothing is just handed to you because you have the Oak Creek uniform on. So every year we, we almost try to instill in our players that they haven't accomplished anything. And we, we really kind of pride ourselves on that. Like that, those banners in the gym, those numbers on the conference, you, you don't have that yet. But what you do have is you have the model for, for all the teams that have accomplished those things. That model works. So we obviously, you know, not to toot our own horns in those meetings, but we basically say we know the model. We were a part of that. Peter Dooley was a part of it. I was a part of it as a player, et cetera. Like we know the model that works. So just you trust the process and know that the process that we have in place. And trust me, I don't, I'm not sitting here saying that I don't explain to them that I know everything. I also let them know about all the clinics I go to and the zoom meetings I have with guys like you and, 
and things like that. And then I, I think it starts with that conversation. And then we ask them, we say, what do you want to get out of this year? And that kind of ties into one of our traditions, which is our dedication day. Um, you know, if, if you could explain, Coach, why don't you go ahead and explain the dedication? Yeah. So, we have a, like I said, we have a lot of meetings early in the season. And, and that's one thing I really love about the spring now is we go in a classroom. You know, we'll, we'll watch the videos, we'll do some inspirational stuff. I put together a, you know, a, a book. They got their Oak Creek Baseball Manual, which has got anything and everything you need to know about Oak Creek Baseball, not only for that year, but the history of our program. Um, and it's really evolved over the years. It's got articles, et cetera. So that's our first couple of days. And, and then I, our third day of practice, we usually do what's called our dedication day. And that's where, that's where the kids start to take ownership of the team. So the first couple of days, there's, it's getting to know each other a little bit, et cetera. It's starting to practice. It's me, a lot of talking from me. And the third day on our dedication day, it's, it's almost like that's where I turn the team over to them. Okay. And they, they stand up and they, they know this is coming. I don't just spring it on them. I say, hey, day three is dedication day. Uh, you're going to stand up in front of your team and all your coaches are going to stand up in front of you and they're going to tell you who they're dedicating the season to. And it can be anybody. And it, it could be um, a, a family member that, that has passed away. It could be a sibling that they have, you know, with a disability or whatever. It could be a friend that they've lost. Um, they, and some of them dedicated to their teammates. And that day it, it takes, we're in there for a good two hours and man, it's, it, it's one of the most powerful days of the year uh, to see grown men, uh, including myself and 18 year olds and 15 year olds standing up and literally, you know, sitting in their chairs crying or seeing their teammate cry because they, they have to, they have to get into detail about their dedication. They can't just stay, stand up and say, I'm dedicating my season to grandma they have to explain why grandma and, and we're able to ask them questions, you know, and, and dig a little deeper with it. And that's, I always say that's the day that they become a team um, because now they, now they know something really intimate about one another and um, it, it's pretty special and it, it brings the human element out, you know, and not that we have a lot of, you know, don't get me wrong. Every team's got that one or two guys who likes to razz kids or anything like that but you'd be amazed at how quickly the camaraderie starts to form after that day uh, because they start to see each other as, Hey, this kid's got this. I didn't know this. I didn't, I didn't know that kid's brother had autism. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that kid had a, had an older brother that passed away, you know? Um, and so that's, that's a pretty special day. Wow. Yeah. That's, I think, you know, everybody who's listening and tuning in is just, they're, they're thinking about their team and thinking about, you know, how vulnerable those moments must be and, you know, how, you know, just about letting your teammates down. It's not just on the field or whatever, you know, being late for practice, you, you know, you're affecting them in many different ways. Right. Are there other, uh, other, other traditions, anything else that really stands out, makes your program unique? Yeah, you know, I think, and I don't know, I got so much that anyone, that anyone else doesn't do, Tim, but one thing we do, and, and maybe this is a nugget someone could take is I, I meet with our captains every Wednesday. Um, I, I value the captain role as, as very important. We don't, we don't just slap an asterisk next to their name on the roster and say, all right, you come to the ground rules with me. Um, the team knows that if there's a topic and, and I got a very open door policy, I, I do not run our program like a, a dictatorship or anything like that. I, guys know they can come to me at any time. They know their specific times. They can come and talk to me about things. Um, but I always tell them, I said, look, your captains are your leaders as the bridge, as the liaison, um, that if you, you are, you don't understand something, 
or you got something going on in your personal life that maybe you don't feel comfortable talking to me about, but you're okay telling, you know, Tyler Peck or, or you know, or Gunnar Doyle or whoever. I meet with my captains every Wednesday and we have a set time. And sometimes it takes two minutes. Coach, nothing to report. You know, everybody's doing good, blah, blah, blah. Or it's, hey, just so you know, um, Johnny's girlfriend broke up with him. So they were together for two years. Just so you have a heads up of why he may not be himself. Or, you know, so-and-so's, you know, they, another thing they're supposed to do, and, and I do this as well, but they're supposed to have conversations about grades with kids. They're supposed to have conversations about what are you doing this weekend? Who are you hanging out with? So I put a lot on my captains um, in, in hopes of just developing them. It's just another way to develop them as leaders. And then as the year goes on, before you know it, you know this, Tim, even the not, even the guys you haven't assigned as captains, now they're doing that too. Before you know it, guess what? Most of the guys are hanging out with each other. You know, before you know it, the teams are at the same place that weekend, somebody's house. Um, they're, they're talking about their classes. They're talking about their grades. So um, like I said, and I'm not sitting here saying I don't have kids that have made mistakes. I, I got kids that ha have made mistakes in the classroom, made mistakes outside the classroom, but I really place a big ownership on, on our captains. And I think we take a lot of pride in, in how we do that as well. One thing I love about there is that you have that scheduled built-in time, you know, mm -hmm. in the, the rat race of our season and everything else that goes on. I'm, I'm sure it'd be right. we've all, neglected certain things and to have that time built in I'm sure is just just amazing I do have a follow-up question though on captains like how do you what's your process for choosing captains is it is it player vote is it coaches is there you know anything else in place yeah um I I did a player vote once in the 16 years and it, it kind of backfired on me and so ever since then it was, that was pretty much just a popularity vote. It really wasn't the things that I'm looking for. Um, I'm looking for high character guys. I'm looking on and off the field. I'm looking for guys that the other players respect in their work ethic. So, you know, for example, I've, I've had plenty of captains who got three or four at bats, you know, this, this past in 2019, um, Logan Ashenhurst was one of our three captains and he got three at bats all year, but he was, you know, top five in his class everybody loved logan logan had some you know uh, some 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 history of um, being a leader in other sports you know that type of thing and it was a no-brainer when logan ashenhurst talked even though he only had three at bats like every player took that as gold you know it was uh just as just as if i was telling them to do something so we look for we look for high character I, I personally uh, look, I do look at grades. I want someone that's been a model uh, in the classroom as well. Um, I, I try to make sure that they're likable. You know, I know they gotta be someone that other kids feel comfortable going to talk to. If they're, you know, and I've had some great players over the years and the parents have said, why didn't you make him a captain? And I said, you know what, he's a great player, but he's not the most sociable. He, he kind of just shows up and does his thing. but kids don't really go out of their way to, to talk to him in terms of, you know, what may be going on in their life. Like, cause he doesn't necessarily seek that out. He's kind of, you know, introvert. And so when you get a player like that, I think it's, it's not the best uh, guy to choose. And it's not to say you don't work with that kid on that, but you know, to make a kid a captain, just because he's your best hitter or, or he's your best pitcher. That's to me, that's not what it's all about. That's not how it works. So sometimes, 
kids and parents have a hard time understanding that. So back to your original question, our coaching staff decides. Uh, we, we get together and we talk about it. We spend a lot of time talking about it. And then what we do is we bring each kid in um, and we have the conversation. Here's, here's what we're thinking of doing. We're thinking about making you a captain. Here's what would be expected of you. Do you accept this? And, you know, I've had kids, I've had one kid in 16 years say, you know what, I'd rather just show up and play coach. And, you know, I don't know if I, and I thought that was pretty, you know, impressive for a high school kid to say that. Um, because like I said, we, we have high expectations uh, for our captains. So. Beautiful. Um, I know you guys really pride yourself on being a blue collar program, you know, like, so I think what's interesting is how do you instill that? You're looking for a players with an edge. Again, they get through the process and obviously playing, Varsity baseball at Oak Creek is, I mean, it's pretty prestigious. And I know that you're a very humble guy. And, but if you look at the banners, you look at the resume, I mean, to really make it through four years at Oak Creek baseball. And then, you know, to have that edge. So what do you guys do as a staff to, to create that? Yeah. So I, I, think one thing, I think one thing that we do is, um, and this is going to sound weird, but we, but we actually practice some blue-collar type things. And, and I know that sounds weird. So. What do I mean by that? Well, we, we actually practice talking defensively. Like we will, ha we will at practice put guys out there. There will be no ball and we will practice talking and we'll go around the infield and you will be on the spot. And I'll, I, I, we, we want to hear you talking about what you're doing and guys think it's the goofiest thing, and, but we do it and it works. And then we go around and we practice talking from the dugout. We talk about if you're not in the game, how are you talking from the dugout? And someone might say, well, what, that doesn't equate to playing. And I would argue, yes, it does. Because your energy that you bring, whether you're up 5 nothing or down 5 nothing, your energy is contagious, just like hitting is contagious. So we, we have to have high energy. We don't have softball chance, okay? We don't, we don't do that stuff. There's certain limits I don't allow. Um, in fact, there's been plenty of times where I've had to tone my guys down, like of certain things, like, hey, we didn't practice, we didn't talk about being saying that or whatever um the other thing we do is we practice running out to our position like that is our conditioning as i'm sure a lot of coaches do one of my favorite conditioning drills at the end of practice is running in and out from your position um, we talk about all the little things we talk about um, we, we really pride ourselves on base running i think you can tell a lot by team on how their effort and energy is by how they run the bases we are a team that tries to be crazy aggressive our program prides so we are crazy aggressive in on the bases and bunting like we try to create chaos for the other team and nowadays tim you know this you just have to get creative in a lot of cases with the bottom of your order when you're facing guys i mean we're we're consistently seeing guys now throwing in the mid 80s like it's not it's not that big a deal anymore but to, to see the starting pitcher from the other team is in the first inning is 85 like that's not uncommon so right. we, so we have to spend a lot of time on like, how do we get our edge? So we're going to get our edge by doing all these little things, you know, and not to not coaches by any means, but yeah. Do we take batting practice? Sure. We take batting practice. So batting practice is like down here. Okay. Like our, our individual work that we're doing in the cage and working on your swing, that's up here. And then the round of BP is down here. You know what I'm saying? So um, going back to your original question is, and if you come to a game, um, you'll see like my coaches are locked in, our bench is locked in, and it starts at the freshman level. And I've been lucky; I've had some great freshman coaches and, and, and JV level coaches, Will Comfort, 
my JV one coach was a head coach, a head varsity coach in Iowa and an AD in Iowa before he moved up here. So he kind of fell into our lap there. Um, but I got some guys that really, I got a lot of former players on our staff. I think that helps um, because they're just, there's just the right way to do things. And you got to have those kids that are willing to call each other out. You really do. So we talk a lot about that. You have to call a kid out because those coaches aren't going to see everything. There's a right way and a wrong way that we do things. And you got to empower your kids to step up. And sometimes it leads to a confrontation. I'd be lying if I said we didn't have a, a scuffle in the dugout a few years ago. We did. And it was friggin' awesome. Like it was embarrassing at the time. But when you heard about why it was, it was because somebody wasn't, you know, into the game the way that the other guys expected them to be in the game. And it, basically they were trying to tell them to leave, leave the dugout. And uh, it, it basically turned into a, a little bit of a scuffle. But I, us coaches got together after the game and we were like, that's awesome. <laughs> You know, like, how can you be mad about that? It was embarrassing at the time, but, uh, so we talked about maybe a better way to handle it later on, but I don't know. I just, it's all those little things, Tim. And like I said, I think, I think you got to practice it. You can't just show up on the field and you know this, you can't just show up and say, oh yeah, I got a bunch of hard nosed kids. Okay. You know, that's all right. You do. You got some, you got, I see three, I see three ball players that look like some, you know, some real dirt bags that get after it, but that's just natural. That's just them. How do you get, how do you get not only nine of them on the field, but how do you get the other, in my case, 11 in the dugout um, to be like that? And it's not easy, but we, we practice it. We work at it. And we tell them, if you can't do this, then you can't be here. And, and, you know, again, I'm in a position to say that. I know Joe Waite up at Prairie Farm is just now at Cumberland. You know, when he was at Prairie Farm, he's like, Scott, if I got 10 warm bodies, I was happy. So I understand what I'm saying is yeah. or with, the, with larger school coaches, but. Um, and, and again, I, I, I'm blessed in that we're in a position where we can say that I can honestly tell a kid, you know, and Alex Benellis and Doran Turchin were those guys, you know, that's, that's the best part is our best players were those guys. And, you know, when Alex Benellis was younger, he, he'd come and watch Tony Butler and then Tony, you know, and then he'd watch Hayden Krimmer and then Doran Turchin watched Hayden Krimmer and then Benellis would, was coming and seeing Doran Turchin. I mean, and then it's just, We've been lucky. We've had our great players, and you know this. If your best player has to be your best leader, okay? And I went. I talked earlier about a kid being an insurer. He he's gotta. He doesn't have to be the captain, but he's gotta do everything right all the time, you know. And those are the teams that that find themselves in trouble, in my opinion. Is it's when your best player is is almost like a cancer. That's and, and don't get me wrong. I've had a couple of kids over the years where they're really good players. And it's like, God, he's just not likable, you know, but you work with them, you work with them. And by the time they're senior, you hope you, you got it figured out. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned parents a few times um, and obviously in your role as AD and, you know, high school of your size, obviously parents have a, you know, a tremendous impact um, in, you know, in, in communities. So as a baseball program, are there certain things you have in place to engage parents or to communicate with them? I mean, even just beyond the, the mass emails or the reminder, right. like, what else do you do, you know, to, yeah. to keep parents involved? So I start, I start in September. We have our first, anyone who's going to be interested in playing baseball that school year, we, we have a meeting in September and we kind of go out and we lay out what the options are for their kids. I want parents to be well aware ahead of time that there's all these different places they can go and, and, and see, I, we give them an open gym schedule. Um, a few times I've brought in BRX. 
uh, Josh and, and Brooks over at BRX. Uh, it's been a couple of years since we brought them in, but we have had a handful of guys that go out there and, and see them. Um, I brought in a couple other, you know, speakers. I brought in some past players to talk about what it takes to play at the college level. So that's like our September meeting. And then right after that meeting, our, our booster club then stays around and tries to get as many folks as they can to be a part of our booster club, which is called the Oak Creek Bleacher Bunch. It's been around since I was a player. Um, they do a great job. We, we have two big fundraising events. I, I've talked to you about in the past. We run a wiffle ball tournament for eight-year-olds up through 13-year-olds hugely successful um, we bring in about 12 13 grand on that and then we do uh, adult only um, social like a dance you know uh, at the community center the week before the season starts the week before trials we call it our lead off dance again something I stole from Jim Hughes he called his his batter up dance I changed ours to the lead off dance and you know there's you know raffles and silent auction all that stuff and we we do about six, seven grand on there. And then we're done. Like, that's it. Those are the two things we do. We don't sell cookie dough or we don't do any of that stuff. Nothing against people that do, but I just, I don't want to do any of that stuff. So we, we literally knock out all of our fundraising in two weekends and the parents, we ask them to chip in, chip in for two weekends, you know, help us uh, get what we can get for those weekends, invite people to the dance and the wiffle ball and it takes care of itself. We, we've been turning teams away. We're up to like 36 teams. You know, we got three gyms going all weekend, for, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. and we do really well with that. The, the nice thing about that now is um, it's in season, so I can require all the players to be there and work it. In the past, I always had to ask them to volunteer because we do it mm -hmm. in the spring. Now we have our team picked. So, um, but going back to parents, I, I I've been again, I've been very lucky. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say I haven't had, you know, tough conversations with parents. I, I just, I just always try to remind them at our at it. Once the teams are selected, we have another parent meeting. And I just try to remind them of where this school is at. And that by all means, as a parent, I want all their kids to be all conference. I want all their kids to play collegiately if they want to. And I tell them that we can make that happen, you know, and especially that whole college conversation. You and I both know, Tim, there's a place for nearly anyone who wants to, you know, um, with relatives, you know, skill at certain levels, there's a lot of places that kids can play. And you and I have both seen it where a kid doesn't even play much for his high school team and he goes on to play somewhere in college. And that's great. But especially now in the spring with the limited time, that's, that's the one thing I've found hard is, you know, you just aren't able to get the 40, 50 at bats for, you know, your backup left fielder that you used to be able to get in the summer. Right. So that's been a change and that's not easy. Um, you know, I, again, we we're going to have a pretty deep pitching staff this year. I don't, I don't know how the heck I was going to get, you know, 20, 25 innings for certain guys that really truly <laughs> deserved it. But right. um, you know, that's, it is what it is. What I'd love to hear more about is that, that bleacher, um, that bleacher club. Um, yeah. Is that all just baseball families? Is it freshmen? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, so, yeah, so we are, it's, it's, uh, it's great. So we have a board and they have bylaws and they're, they're a 501c3. Um, you know, they have to report to the school district what they're fundraising and what they're doing with their money and things like that. Um, I'm really lucky. One of my, I had, uh, my current president, Steve Bouch, he has been, his last kid graduated in 2015 and he's still my president of our, of our booster club for baseball. So anyone can join it. Um, most parents, most families join it, uh, like going into freshman year. 
and it's one meeting a month. Uh, I'm at the meeting. Uh, there's a board, there's a president, vice president, treasurer, and secretary. And yes, I'll be honest, we've had situations where someone that's a board member, their kid didn't make it. And that's always awkward. But I, like I said, I pride myself on, on making sure we do things the right way. So mm -hmm. I think there's been four of those instances over the years where someone's been on the board, maybe as when their kid was a freshman or sophomore, but then they don't make the varsity. And then you just obviously have to fill their seats. But, um, but yeah, they, they run it as a 501c3. And um, they also are in charge of like our concessions and stuff, but they really help me out a lot because they take so much of that off my plate. Um, I play a role in that. Obviously I'll organize the players for the events. And, you know, if, if some parents aren't responding, then I kind of step in and maybe send an email like, Hey, you know, hate to break this to you, but you're the only family that we don't have signed up. Is, is something going on, but you know, we'd really appreciate everyone's help with this. And so I've, I've had to do that on occasion here and there. Um, they're also the group that when our batting cages have to go up, you know, and we're trying, they, they come and do that to give our maintenance staff a little break. You know, they, they'll come and do work on the fields when we were playing at Oppenshine. They built the dugouts that were at Oppenshine. They raised the money for the scoreboard, the new fencing, because we were playing at a city park and the city didn't have the money for any of that. So pretty much everything that's at that field at Oppenshine, which is now going to be just Red League too, that was all Oak Creek Bleacher Bunch. I'm guessing you count every, you add everything up. I bet they did probably $75,000, $80,000 worth of improvements at, at Avonshine Park, which is now a pretty good freshman field. Yeah, I'd say. And now obviously you guys are moving, um, you know, into your beautiful new facility, which I know was a, was a major effort by you yeah. and the whole community. And, you know, yeah, this first spring is supposed to open, you know, obviously we, we get right. down here, like everyone else across the state and essentially across the country. But you know, what happened during the shutdown was a ton of, and a ton of Zoom meetings and, you know, a lot mm -hmm development opportunities so I'd love to know what's something that you you've learned recently that's maybe challenged what you currently do or made you rethink of something how you teach um, yeah. lately yeah so just like you and and go, having those zoom meetings with you and and Sean Wagner and Feather and you know everybody else that was on there Ryan McGinnis um, it was that was awesome and you know it was one of the I tell my wife, it's like one of the blessings in disguise of this whole thing is it, it brought, it brought me closer to you and, and some of those other coaches that I didn't know real well. Um, and it gave me the chance to, you know, you did, you sat back and you're like, okay, well, what am I going to do right now? Oh, what did we all do? What did us baseball coaches do? We hopped on every podcast and every zoom meeting with every college coach. That was amazing, you know? And to me, to answer your question, I really continue to dive more into two things. One, the strength training. Um, it's something we've gotten better at, but Zach Deschamps, the strength and conditioning guy at TCU, who I'm sure you follow on Twitter. Um, I read his book, Movement Over Maxes, just took a ton of stuff from that. I already have ideas of how we're going to change some things. I'll be honest, I really have relied on BRX, like Josh and, and um, Brooks. Yeah. Brooks. Um, to kind of guide us. We, we followed their in-season stuff uh, the last couple of years and, and it's worked really well. It worked really well in the spring. It's another positive of spring baseball is being able to have that time because of the weather <laughs> to have that time to actually keep doing strength training. Um, and you could, you could, you, you could do it in the summer, but you, you didn't always really do it as a team because, you know, you were at the field from three thirty to eight o'clock or whatever. Now it's a little bit different. So, so continuing to develop what I want that to look like, again, I just kind of took Brooks and Josh for their word and all right, this is what you do. 
but now reading some of Zach's stuff, just trying to add to that. Cause that, that's the one area I'll be honest. Um, I mean, you've seen me, I'm not some, uh, I'm not some monster or anything like that or specimen, but I, I know enough, you know, I know enough what we need to do as players to be conditioned. And that being said, I, I just need to keep developing there. Um, the other thing is, is the whole throwing program. You know, I just, I'm really interested in, in this driveline in driveline program. And, you know, again, I'm lucky maybe down the road, I, I've talked to a bunch of college coaches as I know you have, you know, picking, picking their brain, like, do you use rap Soto? Like what part of driveline do you use? Do you use rap Soto? Is that useful to use at the high school level? Cause I want to give my kids and you and I both know we're, we're, we're hamstrung by our limited time, you know, with our kids and, but they're getting some of that at the academies, which is good. I, I certainly think we, we feed off each other. I think, you know, hitters and, and GRB, there's certain things that they are great for. And I also think they rely on us during our seasons um, to really get down to, to the, to the in game and the strategies of the game. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I know my guys come back throwing harder and hitting the ball harder off the tee and, you know, in general, because of all the reps and work they're doing at their academy, I get that. But then I also know my guys play better in the summer for those academies because they just got done going through what I would consider a pretty good high school experience, you know, with me and my coaches. So I think we, we, we feed off each other and I, I'm getting off topic a little bit, but my point is if those, if those academies and those groups are going to start talking to these kids about spin rate and they're going to start, you know, it, it's more than just, and we all got the, the pocket radar, right? Or we all got our radar guns and, and that's great. And then there's a place for that, you know, but boy, it seems like the game, I just want to make sure I stay up with the game so that I can offer my kids everything they need to know. And you talk to some college coaches and I'm not going to name names here. You talk to some college coaches and they're like, we don't use that and I'm not going to use it. And on one hand, I'm like, okay, it's a successful program. So you can't argue with the success of the coach that's saying that, but then at the same time, it's like, okay, but if it does help your kid and you got your kid for six months or seven months at the college level, why wouldn't you use it? If, if it can maybe help your kid. Um, the challenge becomes for us, Tim, is do we spend $8,000 on a rap Soto gadget that we can use for two months, two and a half months, because we can't use it at the gym, right? We can't use it at, you know, you're not going to send it home with a kid when it's $8,000. So that's, to me, one of our biggest drawbacks. And when I talk to Chan Brown and I hear that he gets his baseball players every day, eighth hour, all year long down in Georgia, um, that's tough. <laughs> you know, that's a different way. I don't know. I think like all of us, we're trying to navigate. We go to these clinics and we see all this technology. And it's like, man, that's awesome. Like, I would totally dive into that. And I'm like, but wait, once I dive into it, I have no time to, to utilize it. I don't know what your thoughts are, but that's kind of where I'm at. No, Sam, I think the, the opportunity cost of every minute you spend on one thing, you take a minute away from something else and, right. um, you know, and trying to prioritize what it is. And it sounds to me like you're trying to offer kind of a buffet of options. You know, if right. you J band or if you're a long toss, if you like right. in balls, you know, we want to have something for you at Oak Creek baseball. Yeah. To me, that just shows how much you can, you're, you're evolving and trying to be, opening your arms to all types of kids because it's like coaches or academies or private instructors, or maybe very little right. at all. And you want to have resources for them. Um, 
And that's fantastic. But you know, what always intrigues me too is so now you've been in this chair for many, many years. Like I said, your resume is as impressive as you're going to find your, you know, a president ECA, all these things. Like, what do you, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you were starting at 18 years old or even, you know, that first job in the early 2000s coming off of state championships? What if you, if you could give advice to your younger self? Yeah, it's so the best advice I ever got, it actually, it actually came from one of my players. So I, I talk about, you know, the passion and playing with an edge and all that. Um, in 2006, uh, Dave Perro was my starting catcher. He asked after a game, we just lost to Brooke East. And he said, coach, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. So we're walking back to the bus. It was a long walk from their field to where the bus was. And he says, coach, um, you're making some of the guys a little too nervous out there. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're so intense and you're so into every pitch and every play that some of us feel like we're playing tight because we don't want to screw up. And I thought, and it was, and it still is one of the greatest moments of my coaching career because I was so caught up, which leads into my next point. I was so caught up in the result of the game and I took everything so personally. If someone made an error, I, I, I literally felt it was like my fault or if a pitcher didn't hit a spot, I, I felt like it was my fault. And we all hate losing it. And, and, you know, there's all those quotes about, you know, <laughs> winning is not as, it does not feel as good as losing feels terrible or whatever, you know, the quotes go. So nice. that moment with Dave Perrell helped me relax a little bit. And which leads into my next point, I started to think more about, and I, this has even evolved in the last few years, because the baseball talent has gotten so good, in our area and in our state, I have started to accept, I don't know if accept is the right word, but I have started to realize that more and more, maybe it's not us um, losing the game as it is the other team beat us. So I spend time with our team talking about that. I said, there's a difference between us losing the game and the other team beating us. So if we go out and lose a, a two to one game to Kenosha Tremper, and our kid pitched a great game and their guy pitched a great game and we hit hard shots and they made every play and we hit, they hit hard shots and found a couple more holes. They beat us. Okay. We didn't lose. So now I go home that night and you, you, and we all do this. You go downstairs, you say hi to the family or whatever, and put your kids to bed. And then you go downstairs and think about the game and you, and I've gotten better at realizing, did we lose or did we get beat? And I'm okay. I'm much better now. So I would go back and tell my younger self, you need to ask yourself as a young coach, did you lose today or did you get beat? And it's okay to get beat um, because then you just tip your hat. It's freaking baseball. You know, uh, one of my, I got a quote above my computer here from Clint Hurdle when he was the manager of the Rockies and he, a reporter after the game, um, they had lost. Uh, it was, it was actually the year they made it to the world series. They lost in the world series, but in the, in the divisional round, I think they, the, the reporter says to him, well, tonight was a pretty crushing defeat. Um, you know, how do you rebound from that? And they obviously went on later to win the series, but Clint Hurdle looked at the reporter and he said, and he laughed and the reporter said, what's so funny? And Clint Hurdle said, crushing was when the doctor walked in to the delivery room and told me that my little girl was born with a birth defect. We just lost a baseball game tonight that was not crushing. We get to play another baseball game tomorrow. And so it's, a, it's an article about just kind of how Clint Hurdle, you know, had that perspective on life and things like that. And what's made him a great man 
manager in the league for a long time. Um, so I kind of talked to my players about that. Now, that being said, <laughs> I'm very competitive and I want to win and I try to instill that in my players. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if your kids, you know, are mentally prepared and they're physically and mentally there that day and they get beat, then they get beat. It's baseball. You know, Dean Smith always said, if you, if you live and die on, on whether you win or lose a game, you're going to be dead a lot. So. Yeah, man. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds like obviously you've got a ton of different resources and, you know, articles and books and podcasts and, you know, so like, what are you on lately in regards to, you know, if you could send us down a better path of, you know, if you had to recommend a book or a couple yeah. books or Yeah, so I got a couple that apply to, to so many. Um, I, I make sure every one of our coaches in our athletic department has a, a book by Bill Walsh called The Score Takes Care of Itself. Just an unbelievable book um, that talks about how Bill Walsh basically turned the San Francisco 49ers into um, nothing, into a dynasty. And just incredible stories about him making sure Joe Montana and Jerry Rice knew every custodian's name at Candlestick Park. I mean, just little things about building a successful program. Um, and then obviously I talked about Augie Garrido. If any coach has not seen that DVD, go on eBay and buy it for $9.99 or whatever. Anybody ending a portrait of a coach. Uh, there's bits and pieces of it that I show my team. Um, and there's some that I don't. You have to, you have to, there's the edited version that you can show your team. But man, it is impressive. Just the, the dugout conversations and things like that. Um, Quiet Strength is another great book that I, that I read years ago by Tony Dungy. I applied a lot of that things in my personal life. That, that one helped me personally um, kind of take a step back and, you know, put myself in the shoes of the people around me, like my wife and, and my family. And that's important, obviously. Uh, that Movement Over Maxes by Zach Deshant, huge, uh, great book. Got to order that. And then I'm, and then like all of it, we talked about it, anything with Jeremy Sheetinger, you know, and now he's with, the, you know, the whole, the dugout podcast on the Stick and Ball TV. So I subscribe to that. Um, listening to, listening to his podcasts and constant, you know, great guests and whatnot. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in any, any print resources that you can get and, and, and share small snippets with your players. So I'm constantly looking for things in the inside pitch magazine, Legion baseball. I'm constantly copying things. Um, and then Twitter, I, I become huge on Twitter, which is funny because when I became AD, the superintendent walked in, he, we had a superintendent uh, about three years into me being AD. And he said, hey, I noticed you don't have a Knights athletics Twitter page. And I said, no, and he goes, can I ask you why? I said, yeah, cause I hate social media. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on anything. And he goes, well, he goes, do me a favor, play around on it. He goes, I think you might be surprised on what you find on it. So Jer's hack guy, basically he forced me to start a Knights athletics Twitter page. And from there I was like, Oh my God, how do I not have an Oak Creek baseball Twitter page? So obviously started the baseball Twitter page. And now I get yelled at every night that I'm watching too many baseball videos and Trent Mongero and, you know, Nate Trotsky and, and all these guys. And Julie's like, really? Like you're watching that video again. You watched it three nights in a row. And I'm like, I know, but I'm taking notes today and blah, blah, blah. So that being said, Tim, you know, you got to be careful because there's a lot of idiots out there too. And you got to find, you got to pick and choose just like anything, just like, just like I always tell our coaches, when we go to a clinic, you try to make sure you get two things. I'm going to try to make sure I get two things. Let's, let's all make sure we bring two things away from this clinic and that'll be a success. So that's kind of what I do on Twitter. Just, you know, is there, is there something I can implement in my program? And I like retweeting stuff. I like liking it and then retweeting it. I'll forward it to my, my seniors and my players and say, Hey, watch this video. And I, I think we're all starting to do that. And if you're not, you know, that's another thing going back to what would I tell my younger self? I, I probably wish I would have been on Twitter a little earlier than I was. Cause, and I tell, I tell my coaches in our athletic department, if you are, and you've heard this expression, but if you are doing pretty much the same thing you were doing five years ago, you're behind, you know, every sport, continues to evolve doesn't mean you can't hang on to your favorite drills i still love my tucson drill i still love my there's certain t drills i love that i'm always going to do and but like you said you, you got to evolve and, and keep trying to find things so those are some of the resources i'm constantly using 
just some fantastic resources in there. Scott, do you have anything else for us? No, Tim, I, you know, I just want to thank you. Obviously, you know, it's been great getting to know you and the fact that you're going to be doing this and talking to other coaches and, you know, I, I hope I didn't hit a, a weak ground ball, the third base rolling over here on your first show. Um, so I just really appreciate you doing this. I'm excited to tune in and listen. And, you know, I, I tell everybody when you're, when you're going for a walk or you're hopping on a treadmill and find resources and, and what you're doing here, like I said, hopefully somebody out there got one thing from me today and the next show you do, I hope I get at least one or two things from the next person you talk to. And if that's, if that happens, then everything you're doing is amazing because you're making a huge impact. So thanks for doing this. That's awesome. And that's a wrap on episode one. Huge thank you to Mr. Oak Creek himself, Scott Holler. So what'd you think? Remember for episode number two, when we sit down with head baseball coach at Sun Perry High School, Rob Hamilton. Another huge thank you to the WBCA and its executive board members for supporting this project. And for all of you who are listening, we hope you tune back in to learn from another one of the greatest coaches we have in the state of Wisconsin.